Welcome back to another edition of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and friend for, gee, about 20-something years now is Bruce Aldrich. And today we have on a journalist, a prominent journalist in the automotive space, Aaron Gold, and as a little bit, what Bay of uh, a little bit of a way of introduction, uh, Aaron and I don't know each other that well. But several years ago, when he was working for another publication, uh, I was trying to also work for that publication, and Aaron was uh, gave a lot of his time and and helped me um, find my way. And we've said hello to each other a few times at LA Auto Show and maybe another function or two. So, Aaron. Thank you for being our guest. You are a staff writer for Automobile, so thanks for being available to us today. That is correct. Thank you for having me, guys. Sure. What caught my attention is, you know, I see a lot of your articles, and recently I saw one that um, just kind of stuck out for I don't know what reason, but I don't think of uh, Canada as being a great automotive uh, manufacturing (laughs) power, but you did a piece recently that I thoroughly enjoyed. Thanks for it. And it's all about the different uh, cars and influence that Canada has on the automobile industry. And I forgot, maybe that <laughs> article was published earlier this month on automobile, but um, can you tell us yeah, how that yeah, article just, came to be and, and what your process was on, <laughs> and some of these cars that are pretty pretty unique vehicles? Well, it's funny. It's funny you should ask that because I wanted to tell you that story. We're always pitching new, unusual content. And I said something to my boss about, I was on the phone with him, and I said, well, what about Canadian cars? And he goes, is that a thing? And then he starts searching, much to my chagrin, he starts searching on the web while I'm standing on the phone going, oh, yeah, look at all, wow, there's a lot of, yeah, do this article. So <laughs> he actually headlined the article, her new Canadian cars were a thing. That's right. So, uh, you know, I was aware, and I'm sure we all are, that a lot of, a lot of American cars are built in Canada. Um, I used to, I have an old Dodge that was built in Ontario, and they used to have a Honda that was built in Ohio, and I used to refer to the Honda as my domestic and the Dodge as my import. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I love yeah, it. I did a little more research and found out uh, that, uh, yeah, there's actually quite a few automakers originating in Canada. And I have to warn you, the, the, the article that I posted consists of the entirety of my knowledge of, of the <laughs> subject of the Canadian automotive industry. Because it's pretty obscure, but they're out there. Yes. One of the things you mentioned, Aaron, was a Russell Motor Car Company. I'd, I'd never heard of it. And they, uh, I guess, started almost like uh, from a bicycle manufacturer and bought from them and started making motor cars in like 1903, something like that, and then eventually sold to Willys Overland, and they made Willys Overland yeah, up there I in Canada. Was, I, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, they were, they were, a, they were a, a bicycle manufacturer that bought out a, a Motors Limited that wasn't doing well. Um, but the problem was, uh, and they had spread to other parts of the Commonwealth, Australia, New, New England, uh, I'm sorry, New England, New Zealand and England, excuse me. Yes. Um, excuse me. And the, the bad move that they chose was they switched to the night sleeve valve engine, which is probably not their smartest move. And, uh, and then, you know, the war hit and there was a downturn in the market. So uh, they weren't selling many cars. So they sold out to Willys Overland. But the interesting thing is that Willys Overland kept that factory going uh, right up until uh, well into the Depression. Yeah, no idea they made Willys up there. I mean, you know, that's such an iconic 
old name, you know, from and out yep. into the Jeep, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's uh, that's interesting history. Aaron, I have the list here in front of me, and I thought maybe we'd just scroll through. I don't know if you have the story in front of you or not, or probably you just remember sure, it. But, always. Um, but let's go through with Bricklin. And I don't know much about Bricklin, but I'm sure you do. Malcolm Bricklin uh, is the man who brought oh. us the Subaru 360 and the Yugo. Well, I don't know about uh, what a legacy, yeah. right? And, what a uh, scoundrel. I, I actually, I did an article, and you can find it on honorablemailmag.com twice. I drove an original Subaru 360, which is a 23-horse, 25-horsepower car. Oh, my uh, gosh. Through New Jersey. So, um, yeah, so I have, I, I, I am convinced that Malcolm Brooklyn, between that and the Yugo, was trying to kill his fellow citizens. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, good. then he did the, the, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn safety car, which was, um, which was uh, supposed to be a sporty, safe car and was way too heavy. It had fiberglass body pedals. They were building them in two different factories in uh, Canada. And because they were using fiberglass, the panels would warp and they would uh, they would crack and they couldn't always fit the cars together at the second factory. I mean, it was a real disaster. <laughs> Sounds like it. everybody knows about the Hugo, uh, the Hugo. But this guy, um, boy, as you said, he was trying to uh, to thin the herd, thin the, thin the Canadian human herd a little <laughs> bit, I guess. Right. Um, I have a theory. Well, he was looking at American sales, so yeah, I have a I have a theory. He was employed by uh, Soviet Russia, perhaps to tell us all. Actually, I've been told that Malcolm Brooklyn is still alive and really feisty and a great interview, and I just haven't been able to make it happen yet. But that's on my. Oh man, I can't wait to read Malcolm that. Brooklyn. That's like that that <laughs> net, that Netflix movie where they found uh, the the drummer, uh, the, the famous drummer that nobody Ginger Baker. Um, <laughs> The, the famous uh, nobody knew. Nobody knew where he was when they found him. He was just an honorary old guy who th- still thought he was the best drummer in the world. But he was about eighty, and he was crotchety, <laughs> and he he punched the interviewer in the nose at one point. So, good luck with Malcolm <laughs> Malcolm Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, should be interesting. Yeah, the cars are really something. But now they have a collector following. Yeah, the doors, the uh, the device that opened the doors, they had gold wing doors, and the owners would get trapped in the cars. They oh, were a real disaster. <laughs> Bruce? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Malcolm Bricklin, I remember back in the 70s, those cars were running around, and they were, you know, forward-thinking. Um, I mean, as, as far as looks and all, but I always heard they were dogs. So the next one I see um, uh, is the, uh, the series of Conquest vehicles. Is that number two on the list there? And, yeah, uh, the super-armored uh, Ford, they take Ford F-550 chassis and build these gigantic armored trucks. I mean, he's not Canada, which is just, you know, I always think of Canada as a bunch of pacifists. Right. But they built these armored <laughs> trucks, but, but inside, you know, inside they're like a palace, yeah. you know? So, it's, <laughs> you know, there's like, they're, uh, the insides are super posh, and yeah, this is the this is the thing you buy if you're like the dictator of a, of a very, you know, of a very hostile nation. <laughs> oh, gosh. It reminds me a little bit, and I don't mean to disparage Mr. Berlinger, but it looks like the new ones that are coming out a little bit. The, the new utilitarian truck, whatever that, however he's building that I, truck. I think it looks like it's something out of the new, the latest Mad Max show, if yeah, they Mad bring Ma- out Mad Max 4 or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of get the feeling that if you're trying to build an armored truck, your styling choices are kind of limited. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I think that gives them kind of some visual similarity, but I'll tell you what, like, you know, I, this thing pulls into the into the into the valley lot. If I saw it coming, I'd go, "Well, I'm going to find a different restaurant for dinner. Somebody's right. getting shot tonight. I'm going somewhere else." Right. Maybe McDonald's isn't so bad. Flat flat black paint too. Flat black That's paint. the only way they come. Number three of on course. the list. Number three on the list is the Felino, is the brain, brainchild of Canadian race car driver Antoine Bissett. 
And, um, boy, that's a pretty polarizing style of, of um, sports car. Oh, I think the thing is, I think it's just so beautiful. And it's, it's a real thing. And they built very, very, they're built in very, very limited quantities. You know, we're talking zero to 60. Well, they go, it's Canada, so zero to 100 kilometers an yes. hour in like under three seconds, you know, 214 miles an hour. So, uh, and they just keep making the cars lighter and more powerful. And yeah, they, it looks like, you know, it, it's like a, it's like a, a rear drive Corvette, you know, made for Batman. They're just gorgeous cars. Yeah, I said yeah, that's the one where they, you're essentially sitting on the rear axle. It looks like the old Cheetah. Yeah, yeah, you, it really does. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful car. I'm actually thinking, gosh, we need to find a way to get there to drive one of these. Well, they made yeah, 10 of them, story. so good luck with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they have the uh, another one I was never heard of is the HTT. You said that one has a, their own in-house 7-liter V8 in that vehicle. Yeah, the, yeah, the homegrown seven liter V eight, seven hundred and fifty horsepower. Unfortunately, that, that car seems to have. I mean, that's a more traditional looking supercar with with scissor doors. Um, it was it was done by uh, some uh, French Canadians. It's I don't know how to pronounce it. My French is only fair. I think it's Plethore LC seven fifty P L E T H O R E. Um, but uh, apparently, these guys went on a show called Dragons Den, which is like Shark Tank, uh, and they got a financing deal. Uh, and then one of the investors, they showed, let one of the investors drive the car and the transmission packed up. So he <laughs> withdrew the money. So the story was that they, they, they got about half a dozen cars pre-sold, but we haven't heard a thing from them in, uh, in about eight years. Oh boy. So I, I don't think, I don't think we're going to be seeing many HTT, uh, uh, 750s anytime soon. Gotcha. The next one I have a little bit of knowledge of, but I think it's the guy, the Electra Mechanica, uh, Mechanica, um, the guy, if I remember correctly, oh, the three wheeler, the three wheeler. When the guy, the guy whose yep. company is gone now, I'm pretty sure, uh, the man's last name, and he was promoting the car for six or seven years, and he had all those reservations, and it never came to fruition. This company, this guy, uh, sent me an email and said, all those people who put down um, a deposit on the what was the man's name? Mm -hmm. I can't think of it right now. Was Elio? Are you talking about the Elio? Elio, Elio. thank yep. you. I had a, I had yep. a senior moment there. The Elio, Paul Elio. <laughs> If he had a deposit well, on... would know that, by the way, but... Yeah, that's but I, right. I, I actually drove the Elio and, and, and had a really great... Some really great interactions with those guys. Oh, the Paul... So, and, yeah. Uh, so this guy, this Electrica uh, Mechanica guy, said he would he would honor the deposit for one of his cars, if I remember correctly, and... Um, oh, that's excellent. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, it's just a selfish thing. I did a post on it, and the guy contacted me, uh, this is three or four years ago, and said thanks for that, and... Um, he got a fair amount of deposits, and people tried to make the switch, and that was the last I heard of it. And so I'm assuming that uh, you know more about that car and the guy, and I guess it kind of ties into Paul Elio as well, which I'm assuming is is gone. Well, I didn't know about the Elio connection. That's too bad to hear about them because they were really nice folks. I used to see them at all the auto shows. But uh, yes. it's funny. I do have a, a connection with the Electromechanica. First of all, what's interesting is this company is, is related to, uh, to Intermechanica, um, which um, a little little strange connection. They they built a car called the Apollo GT back in the '60s, and uh, actually a feature about an original Apollo GT 
um, uh, that uh, uh, was actually one of the first, it was the first feature that I did for Automobile as a freelancer and actually helped me uh, land the job. And now uh, Bud Barassa owned the car, and sadly Bud just passed away uh, a few months ago. Um, just a little inside baseball, he was related to uh, Jessica Tolman from Subaru, if you know her, the, the PR person. Yes. Stepfather, amazing car collector, wonderful guy, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Uh, and he let me drive this beautiful old Apollo GT, uh, one of the only two automatic cars ever made. Maybe oh, three. Right. It's either two or three automatics. Great car and, and a real loss for the, for the automotive community. He's a great guy. But anyway, Intermechanica has, has, has uh, ha, Electromechanica, forgive me, has the roots in Intermechanica. They build an electric power 356, Porsche 356 replica, which is the e Roadster. Um, they're working on a sports car, which is the car pictured up at the top of the article. Yes. And then they have this little solo, this little three wheel solo, which is a three wheel electric car. Um, Funnily enough, it's the only car I've ever seen that has more doors than it does seats. You can get into it from either side. <laughs> That's um, hilarious, Aaron. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. It's, and what's interesting is, that, so, so the dealership is right, is, is maybe a mile or two from my house. So we drove some of the early revisions of the car. They, 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 were, they needed some work. Yes. Um, and and, and they, 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 they've kind of taken advantage of, of COVID and what's going on kind of go back and i think they're working on revision three so they were going to have a little bit of a drive event so i've been waiting i have a, i have an open invitation that when they're ready and they have cars back in the dealership uh then uh, i'll i'll take one for a couple of days but i always drive every time i go past ventura boulevard in studio city i always drive by the dealership and i look for cars and see what's going on that's great i've uh, got i can't wait to read that story too that i'm sure you'll you'll have fun with that one Aaron, you're quite yeah, an expert on James. yeah. You're an expert on these little cars, and I, you said that you've driven the the Subaru 360, the, the inter, inter mechanic, yeah. and the Elio. In the which, Elio. Which, which one's the best car? <laughs> the best of the worst. The uh, best worst car. Oh <laughs> uh, well, that's a toss up. Uh, actually, I didn't drive. I drove the. I didn't drive the Elio with the with the, with the production engine, but I really like that little Elio. It's funny not to get too far off on a tangent, but all the dangerous three wheelers like seem to come to me. I've done all the Vanderhalls, which I love. Vanderhalls yes. are like my wife describes them. They're these little three wheel lozenges on wheels, and my wife describes them as something that only Coyote would build to chase down the Roadrunner. There you go, um, perfect. And I've driven. Uh, I have uh, I've driven the gas ones, the electric ones. Um, I've done the Polarises, which are a little too rough for me. And then uh, another article, a couple of articles that are up on the site. I tooled around Los Angeles in a 1949 Volkswagen Beetle with uh, uh, no synchro- synchros in the transmission and 25 horsepower and cable brakes. So I'm pretty sure that the goal of my, my man- upper management is to kill me in the line of work. There I you go. That's what's going on. Well, Bruce, <laughs> brakes. Wow. Bruce has a 59 um, bug. But I have hydraulics. But he has hydraulics. <laughs> No horsepower, but I got it. One of my favorite lines in the article that I that I said is is non-assisted dr- hydraulic drum brakes are not as bad as you've been led to believe. <laughs> Cable-operated <laughs> drum brakes are worse. There you they go. They do everything, but you know they do everything. They, they squeal, they pull, they do everything, but actually stop the car. <laughs> we had a guy on. I am going off on a little bit of a tangent. We had a a man on um, just a couple of weeks back, uh, Mr. Hayes. Russell Hayes, who has done a, a complete, mm-hmm. I think it's his third or fourth book on VW, and uh, he's now gone back and done a book that celebrates the 75th anniversary of the bug and the 70th anniversary of the van. If I, I could have reversed it, but Close anyway, a, a, an anniversary book, 
And um, boy, he he took us through a lot of stuff, and it was fascinating. I'm, a coffee table size book that weighs you know twenty pounds, and um, he just had a, a wealth of information about VW, which I have had a few myself, and they're they're fantastic. I've the, you know the has the the weirdest history in the, from from hippy dippy to Nazi Germany, you know. Yeah, and the English, too. In the English, um, that's right. Well, I'll, I'll make one quick plug. If you search automobilemag.com, the story that I did is I compared, I had a couple of drivers help me out. We did a comparison of a 49, a 70, and a 77. Great. So that's more or less the first Beetle uh, and the last Beetle sold in the United States. And I mean, the, the 77 was a beautiful, super convertible, belonged to a member of the Ventura uh, Volkswagen uh, Club, and uh, night and day, you know, after uh, it's just the differences, the changes in that car, they look the same, but mechanically completely different driving experience. Really amazing. That's good. But I'm yeah. sorry, I've gotten off of Canada. That's all right. That's all right. Well, <laughs> Back to your bugs in the, in the non-synchro. I, I do recall the bug that I have, my dad's bug that didn't have a first gear synchro. So you always roll all the stop signs, right? Well, I have yeah, a, I have a synchro in no there synchro. now. Yeah. I, <laughs> So I'm, I think so the we problem ha- is the go, car, go the, ahead. The car, the car, real quick. So the car takes off in first gear, but first gear only goes to twelve miles an hour, and then it's neutral gear is how long you have to wait. So you take off about you get about halfway across the intersection, then you're coasting, and that's when the SUV behind you nearly rear ends. <laughs> so right. fortunately, I owned a vehicle with a non-synchronized transmission, so I had some experience. But after after we finished the the, uh, the drive and the photo shoot, I let our my photographer uh, drive the car and showed him how to drive a non synchro. And he's like, he looks at me, he goes, he goes, hey, you've been doing this for three days. You are a stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we want to cover um, other topics as well as the Canadian cars. But I just want I'll just rattle through the the list, the rest of the list of really interesting stuff. The the Magnum, which is really unusual looking. And then you have the McLaughlin a Motor Company. Uh, let's see, scroll through. You have the Meteor, which I have heard about. Maybe people have heard about that one as well. And then also, um, yeah, the and Meteor was a Meteor was a Ford. They just rebranded them, and uh, they rebranded Fords in, in Canada. Pontiac did that too, and so did uh, uh, Pontiac did that as well with the Acadian. And then you have uh, the Prevost. Uh, it doesn't actually build yep. uh, Canadian cars. But it builds buses, big fancy ones. That's yep. great. And then the Russell Motor Car Company. And lastly, there might be one or two others on there, but I'll just remind people to go take a look at this um, article about the influence and the Canadian um, cars uh, on automobile. And Aaron's written a, a great story in that regard. But also, you you had another article that you were really um, enthusiastic about, and maybe you could introduce us to that piece that you did about uh, cars that were lousy, cars that were better than lousy, and all kinds of different. Your approach was really interesting. So, go ahead, Aaron. Tell us about that one. Well, I did kind of a series of them. It was called ter- well. It started out as terrible cars that weren't terrible. Yes. And the first one was about the Gremlin. Yes. Everybody laughs about the AMC Gremlin, sure. but truthfully, was you know developed on the cheap. It was the right car for AMC. And the other one, the really controversial one, is the Mustang Two. And everybody says the Mustang II was the worst Mustang, which is true. Um, it was an awful Mustang, but really not a bad car. And, you know, there's a there's a great quote I got I got to find it uh, from Lee Iacocca, um, and he said, uh, "Here we go." He said, well, um, I can't find it, but he said something about how and it's in my article. You know, uh, we we launched a 20 mile per gallon car, 
Oh, there we go. Uh, we lost 20 miles per gallon car. Here we come up with a 20 mile per gallon car in the middle of a fuel crisis. Sometimes <laughs> I think we're luckier than we are smart. Um, and those did really well. And then I turned to the Sterling 825, which was a terrible car that really was terrible, which was when the British basically took an Acura Legend, most reliable car in the universe, and decided they were going to build their own version with their own electrical system. Oh, boy. So, uh, you know, that went predictably badly. Uh, and as it happened, automobile had one of those cars as a long termer, and I've just got the I've just got the 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 list of all the maladies that we had with the car, you know, which included like six, you know, the fuel gauge failed six times, the coolant gauge failed three times, the sunroof failed three times, um, seatbelt wouldn't retract twice. It was just a disaster. Um, <laughs> and then the last one in the series was the Vega, which was a terrible car that shouldn't have been terrible. Because uh, uh, GM threw all their engineering resources behind making something truly new, but because of a lot of kind of corporate machinations, uh, John DeLorean covered this in his what I call his authorized and then unauthorized uh, autobiography, which is on a clear day you can see General Motors for a lot of the story, and it's a fascinating story how GM was you know the the divisions were engineering all of their own vehicles and then they had the Vega kind of shoved down shoved down their throats. Chevrolet was just given this car with all these problems and told they had to solve them. And it was uh, up to John DeLorean to kind of rally the troops and say, you know, we're stuck with this thing. We've got to make it as good as possible. Was one of the bad things with the Vega, it was their motor, wasn't it? And something about a, an aluminum head, they didn't figure that out. And so there was warping between the the cast iron and the and well, the aluminum head was that a big bugaboo? Yeah, they actually did the opposite. They did they did an aluminum block with a with a with a with a uh, with a oh, with opposite. an iron head. Oh, okay. Serves correctly. Yeah, which was uh, uh, make sure I had that had that right. But yeah, there were all sorts of uh, there were all sorts of issues with that with that engine. The problem is that they would it wasn't so much it it wasn't so much the warpage. The engine would overheat and the cylinders would go out around. Um, and that would cause the oil consumption to go up, um, and it would also cause coolant to seep, you know, seep into the combustion chamber. So then the car would run low on coolant, and then the overheating problem would get worse. And eventually, you'd have a, a lump of uh, useless aluminum on your hands. I remember they were uh, great with the ro- drag had- racers because there were so many with uh, blown yeah. motors, and they put V8s in them and raced them. Exactly, yeah, because that car kind of spawned the Monza, which is another car that I wrote about for automobile, and the Monza actually. You could talk of V8. It, it would accommodate the 350. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the Vega was a real disaster. They had a new rust-proofing, set, uh, rust-proofing uh, system that, that didn't work. My father, actually, who bought some of the worst cars Detroit has ever produced, he bought a lot of them. Um, <laughs> and he bought a first-year Vega. And one of my earliest car-related memories, we're talking from the age of three, is the fenders, the top of the fenders rusting out on the Vega. Oh, my gosh. There actually holes in it. In a, in a three-year-old car. Um, wow. Yeah, they were just a disaster. The rear wheels would fall off. There was a, an axle shaft that was no good, and the wheel would literally fall off the car. Um, oh, and the worst was the two-barrel carburetor version of the engine. There was a single and a two-barrel. It would backfire so violently that the muffler would blow open. Okay? <laughs> it would blow hot gas on the fuel tank. The fuel tank would expand and rupture, and then the whole thing would catch on fire. Oh, my gosh. Aaron, uh, what, I, what I'm thinking of Perfect. is some of these cars, um, the Gremlin and the Vega, uh, different different animals, of course, but, and there are many others that because of their uh, infamacy, 
that they become their the values have increased. So can you go out and find a Chevy Vega and do they cost now more than they cost when they were new? I'm sure a Gremlin is two or three times more than it was when it when the series ran. The Gremlin has skyrocketed, and I haven't seen I haven't seen much. I've never tried shopping for a Vega. The problem with the Vega is they just rusted the pieces. Yes, um, uh, you know they they they're, they're so it's hard to find one that's intact. Um, years back, we looked at we looked at getting a Pinto wagon at racing it in twenty four hours of lemons. Yes, and the Pinto yes. wagon prices were just. I had just, one of those. Uh, you know, they were just sky high. They were just ridiculous. Yes. Um, but yeah, if you can find a vegan now and find one that have the, find one that hasn't been molested. But the problem is that rust was just so bad. You know, they dipped the, it was one of the first cars where they they did a dip and dunk, and what they found is the rust wasn't the rust coating wasn't reaching all of the metal. And the, oh you know, the corporate engineers over the over the objections of the Chevrolet engineers, Chevrolet wanted to put plastic inner fender liners in the car. Uh, and they said no because they were pinching uh, pinching pennies. So uh, that was part of the problem. So it's hard to find one that's intact, even in California, where we see some of the most unusual, unloved cars. You know, we still see a lot of. I still see a lot of AMC's running around. I never see Vegas. Yes. I don't either. Do you? Um, yeah. What about the Pacer? That AMC was that one of the worst, or or was it just the ugly, uh, ugliest? I have not. You know, a lot of people have asked me like, when are you going to do a Pacer article? And I really can't decide uh, where the Pacer belongs because the problem with the Pacer, and I did some other research. I have access to the you know Motor Trend is our sister publication. Automobile Magazine is part of the uh, is part of the Motor Trend group, so I have access to all of the old uh, Motor Trend uh, issues online, and I, I read them regularly. You know the story of the of the uh, uh, of the Pacer is tied up into General Motors' rotary engine, their Wankel engine, um, and. The AMC was really counting on GM to build the Wankel engine to power the Pacer. And then General Motors discovered they just couldn't get the fuel economy and the emissions out of the rotary engine. So after investing a lot of money, they deep-sixed it. And the AMC was in real trouble because they'd been counting on this engine. So now they had to stick this cast-iron six into their, into their car that wasn't made for it. And the thing was just so heavy, and all that glass weighed a lot. So, but, you know, it's, I haven't written about the Pacer for lack of interest. I cannot truly decide if the Pacer is a terrible car that really was terrible or a terrible car that really wasn't terrible. It was ugly, though. What a, what a dilemma that you have, Aaron. I hope it yeah. keeps you up at night worrying about yeah. these things. That's great. Um, uh, I'm gonna, another... and, my, and my boss worries why I'm late on all my other stories. <laughs> the, the other day, um, it just reminded me, I haven't shown Bruce the pictures. I was over at the the local shopping mall, and I, and I did a, you know, how you, you see a car that you haven't seen for one, and you do a double take, and I stopped. And there was a woman getting into the car, and I didn't want to seem like a complete weirdo, but I stopped from about <laughs> 15 feet away, and I said, excuse me, could I take a picture of your car? And she said, sure. It was an 85 uh, Cadillac Seville with the old, I call it a humpback, but it's a, like the what, the bubble back, the old bubble the back. The bustle back, yes. Yeah, bustle back. And bustle um, back. I hadn't seen one for maybe a year or two, but... Boy, that that car is it. It may go on the all ugly list. I don't know somewhere. Oh, chopped off, huh. like they forgot to design. Yeah, the and, trunk. and she said well, she inherited it from her father, and uh, her husband has you know done some repair work on it. But it's it's pretty ugly. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I did a series of all super automobiles and search for it of the ugliest cars by decade. Yes, uh, and I don't have those pulled up. I mean, like fifty cars, and and uh, we probably in total with all the articles. 
and obviously that's up there. And you know, my my thought on the on the on the on that car on the Bustleback Seville is like whoever whoever signed off on the design clearly didn't walk around to the back of the car. <laughs> uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly, you're right. <laughs> you know, they looked at the front and said, "Oh yeah, it's fine." Yeah, um, she she was she loves the car. Article. I think there was a story with that car that they that they uh, let's see, uh, I don't know if it's ugliest cars of the '80s. I think there's a story I'm going to look because here it is. Um, yeah, they, they, were trying, they were trying to emulate the Daimler limousine, the uh, Daimler, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Yes. Uh, you know, those old Daimler limos that the Queen rode around in, but the proportions were just all wrong. That car had every bad engine that Cadillac ever did. You know, you could it had the, the 4.1 liter V8, which was like putting a lawnmower engine in the thing. It had the Oldsmobile diesel, which was a disaster. And I had the V eight six four, which was one of the worst things that ever happened to Cadillac. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah, that car had no luck. <laughs> yes. Well, um, Aaron, we're uh, we'd like to keep you the whole day. I know that you you've got well, a one, lot of stuff. There. Bruce has one more question, Mike. We want to, I want to talk for a couple hours, but I know we can't. So go ahead, Since Bruce. We got stuck on ugly. <laughs> I think we have to talk about the uh, Rendezvous uh, and the sister car. What's it called? The uh, Aztec. Oh, the Aztec, Aztec yeah. Rendezvous. Yeah, twins. Well, that's the thing is the Aztec was so ridiculously ugly that no one ever pays attention to the like the rendezvous flies under the flies under the radar and the rendezvous is just hideous. I mean, I had a friend whose parents bought one and he almost disowned his own parents. <laughs> uh, you know, and the Aztec was just hard. But the sad part about the Aztec is once you get over the way it looks, like it was a really good, useful car. I, I reviewed one of those when it was new. I fell in love with the thing. Yeah, you know, as long as you wore a bag over your head when you drove it, it was it was it was a really good functional car. It was cheap. It was you know twenty grand got you a V six with power everything. It was a nice car. It just had to be seen in it. But uh, you know, on the other <laughs> hand, if you're looking to you know if you're looking to if you're looking to limit you the size of your family and you don't believe in traditional family planning, that's the best form of birth control there is in the Aztec. You have a second career as a stand-up comedian, I think, Aaron. You're, you're very funny. <laughs> hey, Aaron, I want to remind our listeners to um, to check out Automobile. Um, and uh, this, the, the one thing I really like about the site, um, and there are many great automobile sites we all know, but... Your site um, takes on um, story ideas that are just, you know, enterprising and something different. Um, it reminds me of um, the automobile version reminds me of there's a baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal who, in, during the World Series, was writing these features about things I never thought about. And I, I thought I was a pretty knowledgeable baseball guy, but he finds he found three or four in a row just stories I never thought about about baseball players. So you... You're doing that too with with your coverage in automobile. So thank you for that. And uh, well, I'm very lucky. I have I have amazing editors who let us uh, they let us they let us pursue these really brain ideas, and we've got a great team of people, and we really we really get to dive down and do these great stories. And yeah, please, 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 if uh, if uh, everybody will visit automobilemag.com as our website, and uh, hopefully you'll find lots that will entertain you. We hope, uh, Aaron, that uh, we're back in action. The One of the highlights of my year, and I think with Bruce, too, is to go to the L.A. show. And um, didn't happen, of course, this year. But next May, we'll, uh, we'll be there. And maybe we can actually shake hands again. Who knows? <laughs> so we hope to see you there. That would be wonderful. But at least elbow bumps. Elbow bumps, that's <laughs> Thank right. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been very, very enjoyable. Thanks, Aaron. Very You're a, yeah. a special guest. We appreciate it. And um, talk to you soon. Thanks Thank for being the guest. Thank you. Uh, all righty. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye.